All right. Everybody's doing good so far? Yeah? Awesome. Okay. So it was about two years ago. Uh, we were having our family devotion time. And the way it works at our house is uh, whenever we do family devotion time, we'll read something out of the Bible. But more than just read it, we, we act it out. So the kids all have to be a person in the story. That's how we do it. And so um, anyway, so we were talking about in the, on our family devotion time, we were talking about uh, Jesus forgiving us and, and forgiving and, and all that. And um, we talked about how Jesus came to save us. And so um, Xander, uh, Olivia was, Carrie was pregnant with Olivia at the time. And Xander was about two. And so Mia was four. And so I asked Mia if uh, she wanted to pray and ask Jesus to forgive her and, and, uh, and all that. And she says, uh, it's okay, Bobby. I already did that. And now when did this happen? Was my response to her. And she says, oh, I, I did it by myself. Okay. Uh, now when did that happen? She said, oh, one day I was in my room and I just prayed to God myself and asked him, you know, to forgive me. And I'm like, now, why would you go and do a thing like that without me there? And I'm like, well, why don't you tell me exactly what you prayed? And we'll see if this thing really took. And, uh, and she said, well, I just prayed and I asked Jesus to come into my heart and forgive me because he died on the cross for me. And I'm like, man, that's good. That's right. And I'm like, all right, first Mia, that's wonderful. Secondly, I think you're the only person on earth who's ever led themselves to Christ. Uh, third, no more significant spiritual moments without mommy or poppy around. So that was kind of the rule. Now, here's the funny part is that a few months after that, um, her, her older cousins were getting baptized and they, they attend church here. I baptized them in the, our baptistry. And so when I was baptizing them, she turns, Mia turns to her mom and says, mommy, I, I, I want to go and be baptized too. And she says, well, you're not old enough. You know, you don't totally understand what baptism is. Once you really understand what baptism is, then you can do it. And so she was kind of upset by that because she's like, well, you know, Sarah and James are, are being baptized. Why can't I be baptized? You know, she was kind of bummed out about that. So anyway, that night, Carrie's giving her a bath in the, in the tub and she keeps kind of leaning back in the water. And, uh, and, and Carrie says to her, uh, Carrie's telling me the story and she says, uh, Mia, what are you doing? And she says, mommy, I'm, I'm baptizing myself. And she says, Mia, you're not allowed to baptize yourself. And she says, you, you can't baptize yourself. She says, mommy, sure I can. Watch, I'll show you. And she does it again, you know, and goes, and goes back. And, and now here, here's the thing is that what Mia's doing, I think, is a lot of times what, what, what we'll do when we look at what baptism is. And we just kind of, we see the motion of someone going into the water, but we miss the emotion of what it is that, that, that baptism is declaring. That baptism is not simply about getting wet. It's a public declaration of the internal decision a person has made to follow Jesus. You see, there's this thing throughout the Bible that, that, that following Jesus has this metaphor of baptism and water built into it. The declaration of our faith and the desire to follow Jesus. And, and baptism is the leaving of an old life behind and embracing the new life that Jesus offers to us. In fact, one of the last things that Jesus told his disciples to do was to be baptized, but also to baptize new followers of his as well. And it, I put it in your notes in Mark 16. It says this, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And so baptism is really what separates the followers of Jesus from the fans of Jesus. The fans of Jesus like hanging around. The fans of Jesus like, you know, 
being around it, it seems like a good thing and all that. But listen, the followers of Jesus obey him and their lives are transformed. Now, here's the interesting thing. And by the way, if you haven't caught on, we're talking about baptism today. Uh, Just for those of you that, you know, just got here from somewhere else, you know, uh, but we're talking, but the thing about baptism is that baptism is as an, isn't actually an English word. Um, it's actually a transliteration of a Greek word called baptizo. And now, cause a translation is a word in one language that you translate into a different language. So, uh, like a great one, you know, when people don't know Spanish, they'll say like, you know, like, you know, it's a great Spanish word. Musielago. That's a great word. That's a great, bat. That's a lame word, but that's a great word, right? Uh, but so that's a translation of, 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 of a word, You're translating it from one language to another. But there are other words that you just, a transliteration is when you take the sound of that word and you shift it into your language. So the other night, my wife is talking to me and she says, hey, how do you say cake in Spanish? It's uh, cake, pretty much. I'm going to, you just can't, the A, the K is silent. K. That's pretty much all you say is that. And uh, now, but we've, we've had this conversation. My wife and I have been married for 16 years. So we've been having this conversation at different stages of our marriage. And so one time uh, it was, we were doing laundry or something. And she's like, how do you say bleach in Spanish? I'm like, well, it's, um, you say it Clorox, basically. Cloro. And she's like, you just... The, the word in Spanish is actually a, an American name brand. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, it's, you know, de colorante, but nobody says that. We just say cloro. And, uh, or when we had our, when, when Mia was first born, every, you know, everybody brings like diapers to the house. You know, you have like diapers for 17 kids, but you just had one. And so they're like, you know, Hey, look, everybody, they brought Pampe to the house. And, uh, now no, they're, they're called pañales, but nobody calls them, they call them Pampe. And so my wife said, is that how you say them? How you say it in Spanish? What about, what do you call huggies? Pampe. And, uh, whatever they're all, it's all pretty much the same. It's all the same thing. And, um, so now, baptism is kind of the same idea. Because baptism, this word baptizo in, in Greek, it, it means to be immersed. It means to be drenched. It means to be drowned. Um, so when we were translating, you know, when the translators are, are translating from Greek to English, and they see this guy named John, who was a baptizo, they're like, well, what are we going to call this guy? You know, it's like, we can call him John the... Uh, how about John the Drowner? You're like, now that sounds more like a serial killer name than a prophet's name. Uh, so we transliterated it. So we, we called it, uh, because there wasn't, there wasn't a word in English that really encompassed everything that baptism is. So we just transliterated it from Greek to English. And so, uh, so this guy named John, or in, or in Hebrew, it would be Yohanan. Uh, Yo, it was Yohanan the Immerser, uh, who we would call John the Baptist, because he was immersing people into the water. And, and people were showing up to be immersed. And so, because they knew that this act of baptism meant something. It meant a changed life. It meant a transformed life. And it meant a life. And this act was sending us deeper into knowing God. Now, for those of you that have been around for a while, you know that we started this series several weeks ago that's called Becoming. And the idea is this, if you haven't been here, is that for all of us, there's this person that we want to become. But we don't know how to get from where we are to whoever it is that, that, that we want to become, that, that idealized version of, of ourselves. 
And so what we do is, is that there's kind of this road from here to there. And what Peter does in his epistle is he, he kind of maps out the road for us of what does the life look like, not as it is, but as everything that it could be. And so the road kind of takes some twists and turns that we didn't think it would take. But the stop that it has us on this time is on this, um, this road of the stop of baptism and what baptism means and why it's so important. Now, listen, there's, a, there's um, as many people as are here this afternoon now, um, you know that there are, there, there's as, is as different as where, where all of us are spiritually. That there's some of us, we've been a Christians for a long time. There's some of us, we, you know, maybe just a couple of years, some of us a couple of months, and some of us, we're not even, we haven't even made that decision yet uh, to start following Jesus. And so, um, but for those of us who have come to know Jesus recently, maybe in the last six months, a year, um, I just want to tell you up front what my goal is for you. My goal for you is to challenge you and encourage you to be baptized as a disciple of Jesus. That is my, that is my goal for you. Others of us, You've been baptized. You were baptized years ago. Maybe you've been here for a while and I'm the one who baptized you, okay? And that's, that's fine. But say, well, well, I mean, so I'm just going to hear about stuff I already know today. Well, let me tell you why I think this is an important message for you. Is because that past event symbolized the beginning of something. Just like your wedding, right? Your wedding was one moment. But it, it affected every other part of your life since that moment. The same thing is true when it comes to baptism. It was one moment. But when you came up out of the water, there was a new life that you embraced. And that one moment should have changed every moment since it took place. And then there's those of you who are here and you're not even a Christian yet. And, and, and you might see baptism simply as a tradition or a ritual. And, I wanna, and I, I, I'm so glad that you're here because here's what I believe you're going to learn today is that baptism is so much more than just a ritual or a tradition or something that, you know, we sprinkle on babies or whatever. Um, but it is an act with deep significance and deep meaning for every person that's a Christian and makes the decision to be baptized. So I'm going to uh, encourage you to open to the book of First Peter chapter 3. That's where we're going to be. Uh, or if you uh, are very technologically sophisticated and you have your phone app or you have your iPad or some lesser device, uh, you can feel free to open, open that up to, um, so even if it's a lesser device, God's word is not lesser because, uh, it's just, you know, a bad tablet, but, the, but the word of God is good. Your tablet is just bad. So that's okay. Um, so anyway, we're going to move on from there, but we're going to start in verse 18 of chapter three. And here's what we're going to read. It says for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here, there's three things I want to share with you about baptism in our time together. And here's the first one. Is that baptism is my illustration of Christ's death. It's my illustration of Christ's death. When a person goes into the water when they're baptized, they are illustrating the fact that Jesus died. And that he was buried after they crucified him. And Peter writes that he was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And that's exactly what happens when a person is baptized. They, they are putting to death the old life, the old nature, the old habits, and then coming out of the water and embracing the new life that they have in Christ. Uh, when I was a young pastor, uh, an intern pastor, uh, I, was, um, I was at this baptism and this guy comes up to me and uh, he says to me, uh, Pastor Bob, I want to... Uh, I'm going to be baptized today and I'm giving up the old life. Okay. And that old life includes smoking and I'm giving it up today. And so he takes a pack of cigarettes out of his hand and he hands them to me. 
And I, I'm, you know, I'm not really sure what to do with a pack of cigarettes and a baptism, so I just put them in my pocket uh, at the time. And then we, we keep talking. And, and this kind of reminds me, people ask me this question sometimes, like, um, you know, will I go to hell if I smoke? I, people ask me that. I always tell them, no, you won't go to hell if you smoke. You'll just smell like you've been there. Um, but you won't, you won't go there, I don't think. Um, but, but anyway, so... so um, so he hands me the cigarettes. I put them in my pocket at, during the baptism. But the thing is, I forget to throw them out afterwards. And so I get home and I have kind of this duffel bag where I have all my stuff in. Put the duffel bag in our laundry room and um, kind of go about my business. Um, that evening, my wife is doing some laundry. She gets into my duffel bag that has all my stuff. She puts the shirts and the thing. She gets the shorts that I was wearing. And she, you know, checks the pockets. And then she finds a pack of cigarettes in my pocket. And she says, uh, and she calls me, Bob. And so I come over. I'm like, yeah, hey. And then she shows me this pack of cigarettes. And she's like, hey, is there something I don't know about um, with you? Are you okay? And I'm like, yeah. So I tell her the whole story. We shared a smoke. We laughed. Uh, You know, uh, (laughs) I'm kidding, by the way. I know Twitter's on fire, Pastor. You know, anyway, uh, you know, that's a joke. Um, Now. This whole idea of going into the water. <laughs> I love telling that. Uh, the, the, this whole idea of going into the water um, comes to us from the Jewish tradition of people who would convert to Judaism. That's how it came into the church. Is it, was just, uh, it was something that was a very natural transition from Judaism. When a person would... In a Jewish culture, when a, a person would, when they wanted to go to the temple, remember we read from Psalm 122, it is good when they said to us, let us go up to the house of the Lord. So you'd go up to Jerusalem uh, and every male Jew had to present themselves three times a year at the temple for the three major feasts. And so uh, when you would go in to be ceremonially clean, to be able to worship, you'd have to go into what was called a mikvah. Now, a mikvah was essentially this ritual bath where you would go in, you'd be immersed, and then you'd be cleansed of all of your sins and all the, you know, ceremonially unclean things that maybe you did, and you'd be able to go into the temple and worship. Now, this was also used of those who were not Jewish, but then they were converting to Judaism. So let's say um, you were from somewhere else, and you had uh, someone who was Jewish had told you about the God of Israel. And you decided, I want to follow the God of Israel. I want to become Jewish. And so um, it was a little more involved than, than, let's say, becoming a Christian. Um, because one of the things that you would have to do to become, uh, to become Jewish was, the first thing you would do is you would have to take on what was called the yoke of the law. And so you would have to say that I'm going to live my life by the Old Testament. I'm going to live my life by the laws of Moses. And you would commit to those 613 laws that are given in the Old Testament, you would commit yourself that this is the way that I'm going to live. Uh, the second thing that you would do is, um, you would be, uh, for, for the males, they would be circumcised. Now, circumcision is when you, well, we don't need to talk about that. Um, so let's just take that out of our minds. Uh, that's why there was a lot more female converts to Judaism than male converts to Judaism. Um, and so, but then the last thing that you would do is that you would essentially be baptizo. You would be, you would go into the mikvah. And so you'd go into the mikvah, this ritual bath, you would come out of the ritual bath, and then you'd be embraced as a child of Abraham. You were part of the community of, of Israel. And so, um, but think about what was happening. You were going in, you were saying goodbye to that old life, the other gods that you worship, and you were embracing the... The, this new life where you worship the God of Israel. And so that's what happens 
when a person goes into the water. Uh, is that they're making a decision uh, to be baptized, but they're not just deciding to get wet. They're deciding to, to say goodbye to an old life uh, that they were living and I'm kind of doing my own thing. And instead, they're, they're deciding to live by the abundant life that Jesus offers to us. In fact, in uh, Romans chapter 6, it says this, Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. Just as Christ, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. You see, baptism is about making a decision to be numbered with the disciples of Jesus. You know who understands this idea better than most people in the church? And that is people who don't know God at all. Uh, if you tell your friends who aren't Christians, hey, you know, I, I'm starting to go to church. They'll be okay with that. You know, I think it's fine to go occasionally. It's fine. Easter, maybe Mother's Day. Maybe if you have like a really bad Saturday night and you're going to wipe the, wipe the slate clean on Sunday, we're okay with that, you know. Uh, but then you tell your friends who aren't Christians, hey, you know, I've been going to church. I've decided to be baptized. Whoa! What? Yo, aren't you taking this Jesus thing a little too seriously? Now, and here's what happens. Sometimes those of us in the church, we miss the significance maybe because we're around it so much. We see people get baptized all the time. Yeah, that's cool. That guy got baptized. It's kind of like him getting baptized. kind of like me getting baptized. I got splashed when he went in. So it's kind of got to count for something. And, and, and listen, sometimes we don't, really, we don't realize how significant this decision is. And that's why those outside of the church, here's what they recognize. They recognize how serious it is. That when a person is baptized, they're saying goodbye to that old life. And they're embracing the life that God offers to them. There's something else, though, than baptism just being an illustration of Christ's death. And that's the second thing. And that is that baptism is my demonstration of Christ's life. Look at verse 19, and I'll show you. He says that, um, th- that Christ being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, um, by whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. Now, if you say, huh, that's okay. Uh, we're going to explain it. Now, here's what I would say that about the Bible demonstrating, uh, being a demonstration of Christ's life. The, the Old Testament gives us two pictures of baptism that are recorded in the New Testament. To say, hey, you know that thing that happened in the Old Testament? That was a picture of baptism. We have two times that it tells us that. Now, the interesting thing is, the people that... The Bible says these people got baptized were the people that didn't get wet, which I think is very interesting. But we'll talk about that in a second. The first is the group, first group of people that, 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 that were picturing baptism was uh, in Exodus 14 and the parting of the Red Sea. Now here, let me read you the verse. And this is in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First two verses. Here's what it says. I do not want you to forget, brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them. And all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. You see, if we've either read the the book of Exodus or we've seen the movie uh, or, or, or someone's told us the story, then we would say, hold on, wasn't it actually Pharaoh's army that got baptized? Right? They went through the parting of the Red Sea and then Pharaoh's army went in and then all the water came in. Wasn't it those guys who got wet? But see, that's why I say the baptism is about so much more than just the motion. It's about the commitment, about being fully committed to God. And that's what baptism is all about. 
I'll show you in another place. Uh, the second thing, the thing that Peter mentions is in Genesis 7 and 8, which, uh, 7, 8, 9, which is in the flood of Noah. And which is the thing that Peter mentions here. And you would think, once again, if we're listening to the story, wouldn't it be those outside of the ark that got baptized? Not those in, those inside didn't get wet. It was those outside that got wet. But once again, the ark is a picture of a man and his family who obeyed God even when it didn't make sense. Now, Peter mentions something here that I want to spend some time dealing with. Well, I don't want to deal with it, but we're going to deal with it because we're here. Um, this is the upside and the downside to preaching through books of the Bible, by the way. The upside is, um, if I, I would never, if I was going to pick a topic, I mean, this topic is, is, you know, this is a tough nut to crack right here. Um, so if I was just like, kind of like picking my own topics, I would never touch on this. Uh, the downside is that, you know, of like, hey, well, that's a good thing. So you teach on tough stuff. The downside is I have to deal with this uh, because it's a tougher one. Now, this passage, Martin Luther, who was the father of the Protestant Reformation, he read this verse, verses 19 and 20, and he said, this is the most wonderful and obscure passage that I cannot understand and cannot explain. Like, thank you so much for that. Uh, good night. And uh, so, but he, in these verses, he says that when Jesus put to death in the flesh, made alive by the Spirit, he went down and preached to those who had been disobedient. Like, what in the world does that have to do with anything? Uh, now, but it answers the question, well, what happened after the crucifixion? Right? Jesus was crucified. He died. He was buried. Three days later, he rose again. Well, I mean, what did he do in the three days? Well, he died. Okay, but see, when you and I die, we know that we're not just a body, right? We are flesh and spirit. So the Bible would tell us that for us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Because our body might go into the ground, but our spirit goes to, 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 to heaven to be with God, right? For, for a believer. So, okay. So Jesus being God, he died. So what happened? Well, several verses that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, unpack for you. But one of the things, according to these verses, is that Jesus, after he died physically... His spirit, being alive by the spirit, he went and preached to those who were disobedient. I mean, preached what? Preached that he was his victory over sin, the coming resurrection, and that he was who he claimed to be. Now, let me read you a couple verses. Uh, this is Philippians chapter 2. He says that at the, knee, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, here is the reality. The reality is that at some point, everyone, alive or dead, is going to admit that Jesus is Lord. Now, they will either admit it because they love Him and are followers of Him, or they will admit it because they weren't followers of Him, but it's just a fact of the matter. Now, in Ephesians, let me kind of deepen this if I can. Uh, Paul says this, Therefore, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And then Paul gives this parenthetical statement. He says, now this he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended to the lower parts of the earth. And he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So... He ascended, but before he, before he ascended in the ascension, went back to heaven, he descended and preached to all these people and said, hey, I am who I claim to be. The resurrection is coming. It's going to be great. All these people who were disobedient. And then he went, nah, 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 nah. And then he, well, maybe he didn't say that, but I would have. Um, and then he left. Um, but listen, baptism is doing the same thing. 
When you are baptized, and this is the point that Peter is making, Jesus put to death, made alive by the Spirit, and then he's preaching to those who are outside of the community of faith. Your baptism does the same thing. You go into the water, saying, being essentially death to the old life. You come out in the newness of life, preaching to those uh, who know God and those who don't know him, that Jesus is who he claimed to be. That your life has been redeemed even in the midst of turbulent times. And that's why, think about it, he, he get these two illustrations that we have of baptism. The parting of the Red Sea, these people thought they were dead. They had two mountains, Piahiroth and Migdal. On either side, they had the Red Sea in front of them and Pharaoh's army behind them. These people were boxed in. And it was through this baptism, through this water, that God saved them. These, the, the, the earth was going to be flooded. And God takes, has this guy build a boat. And he says, you guys are going to get into the boat and a bunch of animals and all that interesting stuff. And here's what's going to happen. When everybody else is getting wiped out, your quote-unquote baptism is going to be speaking that God is who we claim to be. And that's why, that even in the midst of turbulent times, God is, uh, is, going, to be, is going to be speaking to us through the baptism. A few months ago, Pastor Mark and I went to New York City. By the way, didn't Mark do a great job last week? For those of you that were here, yeah, great job. Nicely done. Um, and so Pastor Mark and I, we flew to New York City. This is back in December. And um, as it worked out, because we are men of God, we got upgraded to first class. And it was amazing. I love it when that happens. That's when I, one of the ways I know God loves me is that I don't have to sit in the back with the mutants uh, in coach. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm usually one of the mutants, but anyway, but it, anyway, so I like, you know, my favorite thing about first classes, I like getting in there first and just watching all the people go back I'm like, what's up? You know, anyway, I just, cause I do that when I'm, when I'm walking all the way back, I look at the people that are in first class and I'm like, that guy's no better than me, you know? And, and I'm trying to figure out like, he's no better than me, but he figured something out somehow, like how to do this. Anyway, not, that's not part of the story, but, uh, we were flying from. Miami to LaGuardia. So if you're, uh, I don't believe in purgatory, but if it existed, it is LaGuardia International Airport. Um, so we're, we're getting there and, and the, uh, the airline had installed these new seats. Uh, we were flying American and they installed these new seats that these seats are awesome. And they all, in first class, they almost de- uh, uh, recline totally flat. And so it was, uh, so we, we got the, we were, Mark and I were in the first row. And so we are, um, and so we're, he's kind of messing with the chair and reclining it, trying to figure out how it works. I recline it a little bit. I put on my headphones. My, my wife, a couple years ago, she got me these, uh, these noise-canceling headphones that have a thing called anti-noise. Are you familiar with anti-noise? Anti-noise is basically a noise, which doesn't even make sense. But it has this noise that cancels out all other noise. And it cancels out the noise of itself. It's like a riddle wrapped in a mystery, hidden in an enigma, hidden in a noise. Anyway... So there's this, it's got this whole thing, but uh, the important thing is I can turn, put my headphones on and I don't hear my kids. That's really the important thing here is that, um, so Bob, didn't you hear the kids? I'm sorry. I had my headphones on. Sorry. I didn't have time to bathe all three of them. I had the headphones on. Um, so anyway, so I put my headphones on, I plug my iPad in and I'm I'm watching like an old episode of the West Wing or something. Cause I'm a nerd like that. And, uh, so and I, and I take my headphone out. I'm like, Mark, stop messing with the chair or you're going to break it. And, uh, and he doesn't really pay much attention to me. And then, um, so, and, and I tell him, I'm like, you do this, you're going to break the chair. They're going to throw us back in coach. And that's when you and I are going to have problems. And, uh, 
So anyway, the plane hits some turbulence. And so the flight attendant asks everybody, uh, they tell everybody in the back, you know, those are captain, put on your seatbelts, you know, put them upright, seats upright. The flight, when you're in first class, the flight attendant I'm sorry to disturb you. Um, could you please put your seat upright? We're going through some turbulence. Would you like four more cookies? You've already had 10. Would you like a few more? Sure, I'll have a few. And uh, just the turbulence, you know. And uh, so anyway, we, so I say, okay, I put my seat up. And then I hear, I, I take my headphones off because I'm talking to the flight attendant. And then I hear Mark say these words. Uh-oh. I'm stuck. Now, you got to understand something. Let me t- explain how this works. And he will testify of this later. Um, and that is, he had the thing, the, the way that this works is you can't just have your seat go flat. All right, because you'd be on the lap of the person behind you. So the way it works is, especially when you're in the front row, uh, the way it works for everybody else, it kind of goes back a little bit because we were in the front row, the, 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 uh, row one, and there was no, there's just a bulkhead in front of us. They had kind of like cut this little alcove out for our legs. So when we go flat on, on, the, on the seat, when it totally reclines, it kind of goes down and in a little bit. Well, Mark had broken the chair in such a way so that it went down and in, and he was kind of like wedged in the corner like a hurt animal. Uh, and so he couldn't, and he's like, you know, and he could, he's like, man, listen, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've got this thing. It's broken. And, um, and so he's kind of like trying to wedge himself out of this. The flight attendant comes over and says to me, does he need help? And I said, probably, but I have no intention of helping him. Watching this is awesome. And so after a, a couple of minutes go by and then, you know, he, the turbulence we're going through and she says, you know, could you, could you please help him? Um, <laughs> fine. But can I just have two more cookies? Um, I help him out. He said, then he starts talking about the manufacturer. The chair is broken. I press one button and the chair goes back up by itself. Uh, and so what's the point of that? There's really no point. I just want to tell that story with Mark here. Um, <laughs> No, there is a point of the story. And that is the thing about the thing about turbulence is that it doesn't give you a warning. It just shows up. And listen, the the thing is this, is that the stories that are told about baptism, it was turbulence and it was baptism, obedience to God that led them out of the turbulence. When Jesus was baptized, he goes into the baptism right after that turbulence into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And the thing is this, is that he was led by the Spirit, empowered through the Spirit to overcome the temptation. Because that is the blessing of obeying God. Now here's what I want to do for a few minutes. And we've been talking kind of 101, 201 about baptism. Can we kind of take it a little deeper? I want to talk maybe at a graduate level about baptism and and, uh, how this relates to us. I want to talk about the baptism of Jesus for a moment. Um, Let's read it. We're going to unpack it. So here's, uh, here's what it says. Mark chapter 1, verse 9. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, if you were there that day, this would have blown you away. For no other reason than every Jewish person in that culture was very familiar with all of the teachings of the major rabbis. Uh, the, the, the teachings of the major rabbis would have been common speak in that culture. And one of them refers to this whole idea of the dove. 
The idea of the dove comes to us, one of the teachings that they would, that the ancient rabbis had in Genesis chapter 8. Now, here's, here's, what, here's what it says, and I have the verses there for you. He says, after, this is after the flood is over. The flood, it's done raining, but there's the, the, the water is still covering the earth. He says, after another 40 days, Noah opened the window he had made in the boat. He also released a dove to see if the water had receded and it could find dry ground. But the dove found, uh, could find no place to land because the water was still covered. Uh, the water still covered the ground. So it returned back to the boat and Noah held out its hand and drew the dove back inside. See, the rabbis taught uh, in, that, in that era and throughout the ages of taught that the dove was a symbol of God's spirit. Just like God's spirit was hovering over creation. Right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's Genesis 1-1. Genesis 1-2 says that, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And so the rabbis taught that when a person appeared, and the dove of God's Spirit rested on that person, that was the Messiah. And that's part of what makes this scene so powerful. But then, on top of that, you add the voice of God and what God says to Jesus when he comes out of the water. And it further pushes this idea that Jesus is the one, the Messiah. Because the words of God are, he says this one sentence, but they're actually two parts of, a two, they're quotations from two Old Testament passages. The first is from Psalm 2, uh, where he says, uh, The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. The second is from Isaiah 42, where he says, Look at my servant, whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. And see, it's at this moment of going into the water and coming out that the father says, This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Every time I have the opportunity to speak to a group of people who are being baptized, I say the same thing. That as Jesus went into the water and was baptized and the Father thundered from heaven, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. We can be sure that the Father is well pleased with you as you're going into the water to make the decision to be baptized. That God is proud of you in that moment when you decide to obey Him fully. And see, many times, and here's what happens, many times we... We never pass the temptations, the turbulence of life just wipes us out. And it's because we haven't obeyed God in the easy stuff. You see, the thing about baptism is that baptism is not hard to do. I mean, as far as the act itself of being baptized is not difficult. But I want you to think about it. If, so, if, we, if, if someone were to teach, and let's say the Bible did, does not teach this, but let's say it did. That if you want, Jesus said, if you want to be saved, you've got to go to this particular mountain in this particular country and climb to the top. And if you climb to the top, then you'll be saved and you'll be forgiven. You know what there would be? There would be a mob of people all the time trying to figure out, how do I climb to the top of that mountain? And it's difficult as it is, and people die trying to climb to the, climb to the top of that mountain. But you know, he didn't say that. He, instead, he said this, salvation is free. It has nothing to do with what you've done, but everything about what he did. When he died for us, when he rose again. But then something else, he says, and so if you are a follower of mine, Jesus would say, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to be baptized. And sometimes because the act of baptism is so simple and it's not hard to do, but it's also very easy to ignore. But see, one of the things that I encourage people, especially when they're young Christians, I tell them, listen, you you just came to know Jesus. That's great. Be baptized. Why? 
One, because Jesus said it, and it's not a great suggestion or a good idea. It's a command of Jesus. But the second thing is, is that you're now, if when, once you, you obey, it's your opportunity to now set a pattern of obedience in your life that starts by doing the first thing that Jesus said to do once you decide to follow him. Now look at what happens. This is the last two verses we're going to cover. Uh, look at verse 21 and 22. He says, there's also an anti-type which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God and angels and authorities and powers having made, having been made subject to him. You see, and here's the last thing if you're taking notes. Um, Baptism is my proclamation of Christ's resurrection. It's an illustration, it's a demonstration, but it's also my proclamation of Christ's resurrection. When a person goes into the water, they are identifying with Jesus in his death. They're coming up out of the water and identifying with Jesus in his resurrection. And that's why Peter says that baptism is the pledging of a good conscience towards God. It's a decision that you make when you're old enough to make that decision to follow Jesus. Now, let me just say this, um, because some of you are like me. Uh, My parents were brought up in a tradition where you baptize babies right when they're born. Because if you baptize them, they go to heaven. Although most of the time, people don't know that that's what the ritual is. But they say, well, we want to baptize. And and sometimes um, people will call us and say, well, do you got, you know, um, you know, my daughter just had a baby. And so we, do you guys do infant baptism? Say, no, we don't do infant baptism. Well, how do we get this baby baptized? My question is, why do you want the baby to be baptized? Well, it's just, you know, because it's good. All right. Uh, let me ask it another way. Uh, you know, what, what is the point of baptism? Well, you know, we want the baby to go to heaven. Okay. Um, but we, un- we have to understand something. See, that, that's part of kind of how this theology began to develop. Um, and this is all part of a much larger conversation that I don't have time for. But if you have insomnia, this is a great thing to research because it'll put you right out. Um, so, but here's, but here's the thing is that when this, um, when this started, uh, Jesus, you know, we get the new Testament, Jesus commands people to be baptized. There's no mention of any, lots of people get baptized in the Bible. If you read it, but not one infant ever gets baptized. It's always people who have an understanding of what it is that they're doing. But what happens is, is that when church history kind of makes its way into the dark ages and you have the Holy Roman empire and all this salvation, um, there was a theology that developed that salvation only came when you were connected to the church. And so you say, well, then how do I know if I'm really connected to the church? And the answer was baptism. And so what once was something that we did for adults was now something that we did. Well, we got to change that and only and do that right when people are born so that, that we make sure that they're connected to the church. Because that's the only way you get to go to heaven is if you're connected to the church. That's what brought about the Protestant Reformation is that uh, you had these guys, these pastors who were teaching and reading the Bible. You know, Martin Luther was a Catholic until the day he died. But he had strong disagreement with the Catholic Church. And, he's, and who was kind of, Martin Luther was really the founder of the Protestant movement, although he was never a Protestant, which is kind of comical to me. Um, you know, uh, he was, he was a, a Catholic monk. And so, but, but his problem was that that's not what the Bible teaches. Salvation does not come because you're connected to the church, because someone sprinkled you as an infant. Salvation comes because Jesus died for you and you've made a decision to follow him and receive that forgiveness. And baptism is just the natural response to that.
You see, that's why Peter says that baptism is not uh, this removal of filth of, of the flesh. It's not that you're just going into the water. It's not the ritual. It's the answer of a good conscience towards God. It's the fact that you've go, you're going into the water because you know what it means because Jesus has changed your life. And see, that's why um, this issue of baptism... And by the way, this is why we do baby dedication instead of infant baptism. Because one of the things that happened in, um, in Old Testament culture, it even happened when Jesus was born. Uh, we always refer to Hannah and she presents Samuel at the temple. But guess what? The parents of Jesus, when Jesus was born, you know what they did? They went to the temple and presented him because that was, the, that was the custom. Every child who was born was supposed to come to the house of God and be presented to the Lord and to the congregation. And so that's essentially what we do because bat- we don't replace that with baptism. Instead, baptism keeps the significant place that it has. Uh, because it's, it's a decision that a person who's come to know Jesus makes when they're old enough to make it. When a person who has a child, they present their child, in our case, through a baby dedication, and here's what we're doing. Just like in Old Testament times, just like Jesus' parents did, and just like parents every, every couple of weeks or every week do here, here, what are we doing? We're presenting the child to the Lord. We're presenting the parents to the Lord, because it's as much, as much of a dedication of the parents as it is of the child. Because here's what our belief is. And once again, our belief is simply what what the Bible's been teaching all the way from Genesis to Revelation. Is that if a child will be born in a home where people love God and want to follow him. That child will make a decision to come to know God. And and invite Jesus into their life. And then when they're old enough to understand what baptism is. They will make the decision to be baptized. And listen, the the baptism is a serious thing. When the last words that Jesus spoke... We're about making disciples and baptizing. Here's, it's in your notes. Here's what Jesus says. It says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, baptism, as we've been talking about, is so much more than water. It's about fully committing yourself. It's about asking God, saying, God, I want you to consume my life. When you go into the water, the water consumes you. And when you come out of the water, the new life that God has for you consumes you. And the thing that I've learned is this, is that if we, if we can't obey in the things that are small, we won't obey when things get tough. Because here's what I know about all of us. That God calls all of us in our lives to do something extraordinary. He calls all of us to do something in life that we never thought I could do this on my own. It's bigger than me. It's, I mean, how could I do it? But but yet we are called to it. And and God wants to empower us to do it. When I I became a Christian, um, it was, uh, I don't know, three days ago, made 20 years that I gave my life to Jesus. It was May 29th, 1993. And so it was 20 years ago that I gave my life to Jesus. But, and I was baptized about four months later. But it was about 14 years ago that I was in Israel. And I was at the spot in the Jordan where Jesus was baptized. And we were there with a group of people and we baptized. Oh, I don't know how many people got baptized that day. 20, 30, 40 people. But I, God was stirring something in me. And speaking to me about the fact that he wanted me to come to start this church. And you got to understand, I, 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 things were going pretty well. I was running a college. 
Um, I was speaking in front of thousands of people when I wanted to. I was getting asked to speak all over the place. And I was running a college full of students whose sole desire was to serve God as pastors and missionaries and worship leaders. And it was great. And I felt God stirring this thing in me. You got to go and you got to go do this thing. And at that moment, I had a decision to make. And, and I said, I said to the, the pastors who were there, who've been my friends for goodness years. And I said to those guys, I said, guys, I know we're done baptizing. The sun is going down and it's almost Sabbath here in Jerusalem, uh, just outside of Jerusalem. But here's what I need. I need you guys to baptize me. And I said, because um, in this very spot where Jesus was commissioned to ministry, in this very spot where, where people were just consumed by God and they were moved into the next stage of what God wanted them to do, I need to go into this water and just release everything. Say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do. And listen, my friend, this may be the very same thing that God is calling you to. And that's why on your connection card, if you take it out uh, right now, here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. If you've never been baptized, you say, I, I, I came to know Jesus, I came forward, I raised hand, whatever you did, when you invited Jesus into your life, but um, as an adult, as, as a, when you, you just like, hey, I, I didn't know what baptism was, I don't, but now I do. I'm going to invite you to just check that off, be baptized. We're doing a baptism next month at the beach, and we want to see you there, to see you obey God in this issue and see the work that God wants to do in your life. You see, when Jesus was baptized, it was his commission into ministry. It was the moment where he embraced the role that his father had given him. And see, I want you to obey God in this. So this, your life can be marked by this act of obedience to him. And you might say, man, I, I was baptized when I first became a Christian. You know, maybe you're like me. I, I became a Christian 20 years ago and got baptized. That's good. Here's my encouragement to you. Let your past baptism speak of your current faith. Just like your wedding was a celebration of love and of all that God wanted, uh, that your that God wanted to do in the life of, of you and your spouse, your baptism can be the same thing. It was it was the, in the past, but it has marked every day since that. And maybe you're here and you're not a Christian at all. You've never made a decision for Jesus to come into your life. And my friend, that's the first order of business. Yeah, but I was baptized. Listen, you can be baptized so many times that you know every fish in the sea by first name basis. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you don't know God. Because baptism is simply the outflow. It's simply the declaration of what God has already done internally. And here's, here's what I know. Is that all of us are here and we're at different stages in, in, in our walk with God. And God's doing different things in us. But I think that all of us have an expectation. As we've been talking about through this entire service. But there's this expectation that we, we want God to do more in us. We want God to do more through us. Part of God doing more in us and through us is obedience to Him. Part of God doing all of this in us is simply being open. And saying, God, I don't want you to be kind of the side item in my life. I want you to consume me. I want to be like I go into the water and I'm consumed by the water. When I come out of it, I want to be consumed by you. Where we are a people who say yes to God before we even know what the question is. We're a people who say, God, I will go before he's even told us where we're supposed to go. 
We're a people that will embrace whatever God wants to do before we even know what it is that we're embracing. But we say, God, all of life is about you being the cornerstone. It's about you being the thing that holds everything together and that this becomes the moment. So I'm going to invite everyone in the house to stand if you would. And here's what I know. Is that all of us want God to work in us. All of us want God to work through us. We simply need to avail ourselves of it. We simply need to call out to God and say, God, I want you to work in me. I want you to forgive me. I want you to empower me. I want you to set me free. And listen, um, that comes through baptism. That comes through worship. And so this could be the moment as we, in a moment we sing, where you just call out to God and say, God, I want you to do more in my life. I want to become more. Why? Because I need you to be more. It's when people ask John the Baptist, and he said, I have to decrease, but he has to increase. That's the work that God wants to do in your life, to where we start decreasing and he starts increasing to the point where we are just consumed by him where we see him work in ways that we never thought possible where we see him just have us see things that we never thought that, that man i was just i never even saw it as a possibility but we've got to do you know we sang that song earlier uh, the revelation song but you know what jesus says in the, in the book of revelation he says he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says and so we need ears that are open to what the spirit wants to say we need eyes that are open to what the Spirit wants to do. We need a mind that's alert and a heart that is available for what God wants to do in our lives. Anybody say, yeah, that's me. I want, I want God to do that. I want to be consumed by Him. I want Him to be everything in my life. Anybody? Anybody say, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, that's me. I want God to do it. Listen, that's all of us. So this can be the moment. We just got to call on Him. We've just got to open our ears and our eyes and our hearts and our minds and just say, God, do this work in me. I want to leave this place different than I came in. I want my life to be different from this day than it was yesterday and than it will be tomorrow. So what are we going to do? We're just going to, we're going to, call, we're going to cry out to God and we're going to sing to Him. And as we sing to Him, listen, this is your moment to ask Him, Jesus, be the cornerstone. You alone. I want you. That's it. All the other stuff can come and go, but I need you. That's it, to be the cornerstone. I need to build my life on you. And everything else will work itself out.